Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled uh, to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals uh, whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality uh, and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want you to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander uh, whatever they do not understand and the very things uh, they do not understand by instinct, uh, as irrational animals do, and will destroy them. Woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed uh, for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts eating with you uh, without the slightest qualm, uh, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown, away, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars, for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming, with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones, to judge everyone and to convict all of them uh, of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their God ungodliness. And all of the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. Uh, they follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in, the, in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt, Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy, mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority 
through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Uh, friends, let us pray as we come to this uh, rather intense part of God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you're the God who speaks and that you speak to us today and right now through your ever-living and active Word. We pray that in the power of your Spirit, you'd help us to rejoice and to tremble at your Word, to take to heart what it says, that we might become more like our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, of course, uh, on the very day where perhaps more than any other, we're thinking about the concept of change with the whole New Year's resolution thing. Uh, me, being my usual self, I'm going to be quite contrary and uh, decide to take this one in seven year opportunity where, where church falls on a New Year's Day uh, to speak, of course, about things that will not change and will remain totally constant throughout the year of our Lord 2023. Now, here's a couple of easy ones. God's holiness, his sovereign control of all things, his goodness, his mercy, his love, those things will remain unchanging this year. The fact that Jesus Christ is our risen Lord in whom alone is found salvation and who is soon to return to judge the living and the dead, that remains unchanging. The fact that God the Holy Spirit is the great evangelist who convicts people of the truth of the gospel, turning them in repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus and illuminates the scripture for believers so that we grow in his likeness, that remains unchanging throughout 2023. More negatively, death will remain unchanging throughout 2023. It's sobering to think that within our three congregations of, of Grace Anglican churches, there are some people here today who this time next year could well not be. Uh, far less uh, impressive or important is taxes. They will remain constant. And uh, the thing that really gets me, and I, I suspect some of you have noted this, those stupid scam emails and messages. Is it just me or have some of you guys noticed like a, a gradual increase over the last couple of years? Of, oh, you haven't paid this bill. What a load of rubbish. I don't have any bill with this. It's just, just a constant thing, right? You know why they'll always be around? Because there's always suckers. It's just the sad reality. Even if 99.9% .9 of people know that those things are a scam, the 0.1% of people that don't know and get sucked in... They give the money and it makes it all worthwhile. What a sad thing. That will remain constant throughout 2023. But brothers and sisters, in these last days, another thing that also sadly will remain constant is the existence and the influence of false teachers. Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, taught that the last days would be marked by false messiahs and false prophets. The head apostle, the apostle Peter, taught that just as there were false prophets within Israel, so there will always be false teachers within the church. The great apostle to the Gentiles, Paul, identified false apostles, people that masquerade as apostles of Jesus. The apostle John said the way you can actually know it's the last days, and he uses a bit of hyperbole, the last hour, is by the very fact that there are many anti-Christs in the first century, anti-people, anti means in place of, teachers or people who set them up in place of Jesus. Just as in a fallen world, it's right to expect that the world will oppose Jesus and his followers, one of those forms of opposition to the truth will come from within Christendom, people who appear to be godly and yet whose goal, whether wittingly or not, is to undermine the truth. Would you believe this is actually one of the biggest single themes in the New Testament? Of all the books of the New Testament, I think there's only three that don't have anything directly to say about false teaching and all of them have something indirectly at least to say about it. Isn't that incredible? 
How ought Jesus' followers stand for truth and against false teachers and their influence? Well, fittingly, near the end of our Bibles, it is kind of fitting that this is how the the canon of Scripture worked out, we have these few short letters that deal precisely with this constant problem. One of them, of course, which is the letter of Jude, which we're looking at tonight. Jude was brother to the leader of the original church in Jerusalem, namely James, and it's clear that his letter is intended for Christians. For to be a Christian is to be called. The calls in the Bible, there's no such thing as a call to ministry in the Bible, there's a call to follow Jesus. That's the only kind of call that's recognised in the New Testament. It's for Christians, and Christians, of course, are loved in God, and they are kept for Jesus Christ. Notice the past, present, future. We have been called, we are loved in God, and we are, of course, kept for Jesus Christ, the great day of his return. And what, in summary, does Jude want to say to Christians. Therefore, what does God say to us here and now tonight? Well, he makes it abundantly clear in his purpose statement from verse 3, where he writes, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, and that would have been great, wouldn't it? I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. So the point of this letter Why this is in the Bible is abundantly clear. You don't need some magical, mystical sort of meditation to try and discern the revelation here. No, he just says it. Jude wants us, his readers, to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. You come away with something else else from that, you haven't read Jude properly. This is what he teaches. Now, the word we translate contend actually has the sense of an intense struggle. It's to, and this is just from a a Greek dictionary, it's to, quote, exert intense effort on behalf of something. Used by the Greeks to talk about competing in their athletics, right? You, You contend, you strive for something with energy and effort. You see, because we love, or I hope you love, the truth of God's revelation, the salvation that's found in the personal work of Jesus, because we love that, we will not only rejoice in it, but also contend for and guard and maintain it. That's a bit like when I got married to my wife, uh, to Stacey. I didn't just promise to love and cherish her as long as we both shall live. I also promised to forsake all others, which is actually one of the ways in which a husband ought to love and cherish his wife. You see, it's both delighting in and contending for the thing that I value very highly. And notice also, it's not my faith, it's not your faith, it's the faith that as Christians we're to contend for. We constantly get this wrong. We think of faith as this sort of subjective thing that changes flavour depending on the person. No, the Bible doesn't recognise that. The Bible speaks of one particular faith, one body of historic and spiritually discerned truth, the final revelation of God in the personal work of Jesus Christ in accordance with the Scriptures, the faith to which all genuine believers give wholehearted assent and obedience. That's what we contend for. Now, originally this faith, of course, was, uh, came to those who taught and wrote down the content of it, namely the faithful Jews that made up the original church. Uh, The term holy ones, in another translation, a better one, frankly, it'll say saints. Uh, And the the term saints, in the first instance, actually refers to Jewish 
believers. Uh, of course, throughout the New Testament, the term gets expanded to include all followers of Jesus, Jew or Gentile. If you're a Christian, you're a saint. But originally, it's to the faithful Jews who comprise the apostles and the members of the original church on the day of Pentecost. So, the faith we contend for is not the faith that was revealed to the prophet Muhammad 600 years after Jesus. It's not the faith that a succession of popes have formulated over time. It's not the faith that was delivered to Joseph Smith in historically dubious circumstances. It's not the faith that the Watchtower Society in the 20th century came up with. No, no, no. It was the faith entrusted, or better translation, delivered once for all to God's holy people, which, as you and I well know, is now recorded for us in Scripture. That's the thing we contend for. Now, why does Jude see it as necessary that Christians should contend for this faith? Well, here's why. Verse 4, because certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. So, secretly, on the down low, insidiously, ungodly people perverting the truth of the gospel in order to allow for immorality and or denying the sole authority of Jesus as God alone, perhaps by setting up someone or something else that in effect becomes a rival authority, who knows? But in other words, we are dealing with what the Bible calls false teachers. Now, this can be a little hard for us to swallow, because in the immortal words of my favourite Christian rapper, Shia Lin, for some people it seems the only heresy is saying that there's heresy. But friends, a sad part of life, prior to eternity, is that the, something like this that the Bible asserts over and over is that false teachers will remain a constant reality. False teachers will be a constant problem for the Church of God in 2023 and in every other year that passes until Jesus returns. So what does Jude reckon we should do about it? Well, to put it simply, we need reminding, and by reminding, I mean fairly constant reminding, that destruction is the end that false teachers are heading for. And it's not the false teaching, but the false teacher who is, and don't you doubt it, headed for hell. Verse 5, though you already know all of this, Jude says, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And of course, I hope you all know this is a well-known and obvious truth for anyone that's ever read the book of Exodus. People who know the truth, who yet persist in rebellious unbelief, will, of course, face his holy and righteous wrath. But it's not just that particular one-off incident. It's actually a generally observable way that things are. You can go outside the Bible and look at pop culture. Well, at least you can if you're a Jew in the first century. And you can see it there always as well. So Jude now alludes to some other literature that's outside the Scriptures in order to remind us that 
Judgment is a reality for unbelievers. Uh, for those of you, by the way, who are interested or a bit nerdy, he alludes to at least two bits of uh, extra-biblical writing. One's called the Assumption of Moses, or sometimes the Testament of Moses. And uh, he, he alludes to this other bit of what we call pseudepigraphal writing, come and ask me about that later, uh, called um, the, the Book of One Enoch. They're not part of the Bible, but because they include theological reflections of people whose lives and culture are heavily informed by the Scriptures, it's not surprising that you see some similar basic themes. So verse 6, probably alluding to the book of 1 Enoch, Jude says, and I quote, "...and the angels, who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting change for the judgment on the great day." And then, immediately back to the Bible, verse 7, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Both in God's Word and even in the popular culture of God's people, we see that time and again, judgment for unbelievers, be they humans or angels, is a reality and where to avoid it. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but it's always so tempting to skate over or minimise this particular facet of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's one thing, when I go and do a talk at a school, they don't want me to talk about is the reality of judgment. But it's stupid to ignore it because it's just everywhere in the Scriptures. God is a holy God and we praise Him for His holiness. Therefore, He's the one who will not tolerate sin and He will bring it into judgment. But here we are dealing with more than just unbelievers. We're dealing with false teachers who look like believers. And so Jude goes the next step, verse 8, in the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority and heap abuse on celestial beings. Now, polluting their own bodies uh, certainly, I think, refers to sexual immorality. Remember, Jesus said it's not what goes into your body by the mouth that defiles you. So, you know, we're not talking about smoking or eating unhealthy food. Those things may not be wise, but that's not what's on view here. Jesus said those things can't make you unclean. But when referring to sexual immorality... The Apostle Paul, you might remember in 1 Corinthians, comments that all other sins are outside a person's body. And Jude has just been speaking about the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, which of course was sexual, hence the polluting of bodies here refers to sexual sin. You always notice, don't you, that the really sort of big mega preachers whose teaching is usually off in some way, there's always a higher degree of sexual scandal just associated with them. Something that can prove a teacher false, and sadly this was the case, much to my sadness, with the great Ravi Zacharias. Put up your hand if you heard of Ravi Zacharias. Yeah. Gross sexual misconduct. But not only that, there's the rejecting of authority as evidenced by a kind of cavalier attitude towards celestial beings, which almost certainly means angels, given that he's just talked about Sodom and Gomorrah and he's about to talk about an angel in the next verse. Uh, we often don't pay enough attention to angels in the Bible, but in the Bible, uh, the common roles of angels is that they either deliver or uphold or, quote, put into effect the words 
of God. As a matter of fact, we celebrated one last week, didn't we? The angel told Mary, you're going to conceive, and, you know, and also told Joseph, don't worry, man, it's cool, right? That, that's, that's the Ben translation of the end. <laughs> Jude just mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah, where, if you remember the story, some angels, in effect, gave a dire warning to the people there not to pursue their sinful indulgence. Sadly, those angels were ignored, and Sodom and Gomorrah went up in flames. So I think the idea here is something like, where is the godly teacher will derive his authority from careful, humble and obedient dependence upon God's word, that authority, the false teacher asserts his own authority, perhaps by using rather than sitting under the word of God. To highlight this contrast, Jude again makes reference to a bit of Jewish pop culture, this time the assumption of Moses, and he says from verse 9, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. The one person you can freely rebuke more than other is Satan. Even then, he goes, no, 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 I'm deferring, I'm showing my, that my authority is God and his word. I, 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 the Lord, Satan, rebuke you. And then, verse 10, these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do not understand by instinct as irrational animals will destroy them. Woe to them! And we're back to the Bible now, continuing in verse 11. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for property into Balaam's era. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Now, if you don't know those parts of the Bible, good, please come and see me afterwards, and I would love to give you the cram crash course in any of those three things, right? But basically, what we're seeing here is that on the strength of their own dreams, their own understanding, sitting arrogantly over what God has authoritatively made clear time and again, these teachers are in it for personal profit and gain, which is about as opposite to Jesus as you can possibly get. Now, hopefully at this point, you're kind of starting to think something like, gee, Jude is really putting the boot in here. I'm kind of, I've got the point, you know, why does he keep going on and on about this? And, and by the way, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through it, but there's another whole paragraph where he goes even more hellfire and intensely in his harsh condemnation against false teachers. Is he kind of using a sledgehammer to crack a peanut? Is, is this unnecessary overkill from Jude to absolutely rail against false teachers the way he does? And you can read it in that next bit, you know. Wandering stars, waterless clouds, twice dead uprooted trees. You know, he, why does he go so hard? Well, I've got to tell you, folks, in my experience, when the Word of God pushes something really hard, it's usually because our sinful hearts are quite accustomed to pushing back. I need to ask you and I need to ask me, are we exercising discernment in what we read and hear and, and see from various sources? Can you and I at times be guilty of letting the very right notion that we're to be charitable, loving and kind somehow become a convenient reason for never speaking out against a patently false teacher. 
We'll come back to this issue in just a few moments when Jude moves on to the practical ways that we're to approach false teachers and those influenced by them, but there is one more important thing that Jude wants us to consider first. A final characteristic of the false teacher, another thing that we need to be aware of in order to contend for the faith, is that there is a vast difference between one's natural instinct and what the Spirit of God shows to be authoritative. So verse 17, but dear friends, says Jude, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you and who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Notice first of all, Jude sees the authority, the supreme measure of what is true and reliable as coming from the teaching of the apostles. And the apostolic gospel itself includes the warning about the ever-present threat of false teachers. The clear implication is that aligning yourself with the teaching of the apostles, which of course we've got recorded for us in the New Testament, is part of what it means to have the Spirit. To reject or pervert apostolic faith is to follow mere natural instincts and therefore not to have the Spirit. That's the logic of of what Jude says here. In fact, the way you discern if a church is truly, genuinely spiritual is not by all manner of visually spectacular supernatural phenomenon, It's not by what makes you feel elated and ecstatic and powerful, particularly during congregational singing, which so often erroneously gets called worship. Nor is it by what makes you feel somber and pious and holy in a spooky building. That's not spiritual either. It's by whether or not the apostolic gospel as given in scriptures is the thing that the church is on about. Many years ago, when I was doing MTS, Ministry Training Strategy, one of the jobs I had was to teach a little Bible study group for a residence of the University of Wollongong, a place called Campus East. Does it still exist? Coronel, yeah. There are a lot of overseas students that come there. And uh, on one particular occasion, there were these two lovely American girls who were quite affronted by something that I'd said along the similar lines to this in the Bible. And they pulled me up afterwards, and one of them, whose dad was a pastor, said, My dad is very spiritual. He waits for the inner prompting of the Holy Spirit even late into a Saturday night, if necessary, to discover what God wants him to preach on the next day. Now, I felt like saying, well, I can think of 66 really good things that the Spirit really wants him to preach on the next day, and he could have prepared a heck of a lot sooner, rather than following, let's be honest, what is in the end, natural instinct. I didn't say it like that, I was very humble and gentle, you'd be pleased to know, but I pleaded with those girls to reconsider what the Word of God was making clear, but it can be extremely difficult, very difficult to convince someone that they're in dangerous territory when the whole premise of their theology is thought to be genuinely spiritual, but so clearly relegates the Word of God to a distant second place at best. When a person is very deep into a scam, it can be very hard for them to realise. Perhaps that's why Jude is so 
constant, so adamant, so brutal in reminding us over and over that hell is the destination of the false teacher and you don't want to follow them there. And perhaps that's why also, thankfully, he gives us what we need to ensure that we don't get scammed and also how we can help those who might be caught up in the wiles of false teachers. The first thing to remember is that being a follower of Jesus is about waiting for the wonderful bliss that will be ours in eternity such that we don't get sucked into thinking that we can achieve perfection and fulfilment here on earth. Verse 20, Jude writes, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you, note, wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. One of the biggest easy telltale signs of a false teacher is they'll promise health and wealth and success and overcoming in the here and now. You just have to have enough faith. You have to speak a positive confession or whatever the case is and then you will achieve your goals, your dreams, your financial, whatever it is. Whereas, of course, the genuine gospel, the faith that was delivered that we have in the New Testament, always leaves room for the hope of heaven. The reality is if you are living your best life now, by definition, according to the Bible, you are heading for hell. Again, to quote Shailene, it's a cool song, check it out. Now, hopefully you'll notice I've left a couple of gaps there in that slide because it's important to emphasise that the your here is plural, use, people, whereas the faith is singular, like I said before. Judy's saying, you guys use people, build yourselves up together in the faith, the one faith that we all share, which is holy. Easiest question of the whole night. Can anyone think of something where like Christians are kind of like together and they're building themselves up in the faith? Like, what is, what is it? Oh, here we are. Well done for being here. Day one of 2023. I can think of nothing more important than joining with the people of God to be strengthened in the faith. Good on you for being here now. Um, this one's going to sting a little bit, but I'm just going to say it anyway. It is so often the case that people who are flaky at church are flaky in their theology. People who are flaky at church, flaky in their theology. And therefore, they're actually at greater risk of being duped by false teachers. Brothers and sisters, keep room in your theology for perfection and fulfilment, not here on earth, but there and then in heaven. And keep gathering together as a top priority this year. Next up, how do we address those who may be getting sucked in or even themselves perverting the faith that was once for all delivered to God's holy people? Well, when it comes to this problem, I think Jude sees three levels of severity. So verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt, save others by snatching them from the fire, to others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Now, the first one's easy. It is obviously, and I hope I'm preaching to the choir, obviously the first port of call is always to lovingly show mercy, to sympathise, to help, 
to show the gentleness and lowliness that is at the very heart of our Lord who will die in order to rescue us from the hell we deserve. Brothers and sisters, let this be on public record. I will never, nor will any mature Christian ever, condemn you for having doubts about your relationship with God through Christ. All Christians likely at some point or other can echo the the call of that desperate man who said, Lord, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. If some teaching, perhaps even some notion you've concocted in your own head has led you to doubt, you are never to be ashamed or embarrassed about that. Jesus is the one that's perfect, not you, not me. It can be a little harder, especially for children raised in strong Christian families where mum and dad are likely involved and influential in the church community because if they've got doubts, they might then feel that they're they're not allowed to have them and they can't struggle with such things. But I can assure you that you will not be alone and you can always find great help and comfort in in talking to me or, or, or another Christian friend, a trusted Christian friend, about the reality of doubts with doctrine or theology or the gospel. For others who are in more serious trouble and at risk of losing their salvation, which the Bible says can happen if you get duped into the heretical teaching of a false teacher, then the loving thing to do is to, what is the word here? Snatch them out from the fire. It's a bit of a, got a bit more clout and desperation to it, this bit, doesn't it? Uh, it could be, and this is just an example I have in my head, something like this, brother... If you keep buying into that prosperity gospel rubbish, then when the storm hits, you're going to find out that your house was built on the sand and you'll likely walk away. But for those who are far gone, for those who might already be professing a perverted gospel and therefore are likely being ungodly in their behaviour and or their doctrine, we're right to express fear, even express hatred at such ungodliness. Uh, The idea with the clothing there, it's a very Jewish way of saying, if you remember the Levitical law, certain uh, things that were indicative of being ceremonially unclean would be on the clothes and so it's kind of like an idiomatic expression, say, keep your distance. These people, you've got to proceed with caution, right? Now, of course, there's still to be mercy. That's always the case. We have the most merciful Lord. We're to hope and pray that such people will repent and recommit to the truth of the gospel, but there comes a point where it needs to be left entirely in God's hands. Finally, and I'm pleased there's something positive to finish on at the end of this uh, tirade from Jude, one of the simplest litmus tests for whether a teaching is biblical or unbiblical is frankly whether or not it puts God at the centre, whether it makes God the one who acts and works far more than making us the ones who act and work. So much Roman Catholic theology is that you do the confession, you do the penance, you partake in the Mass and the sacraments, And the church, the clergy and the saints 
Do absolution, provide the sacraments, issue the indulgences, provide the mediation. It's increasingly difficult to see the dependence upon Jesus and the work of God being at the centre of such a theological picture. Similarly, within Pentecostalism, it's your experience, along with a sleek production of so-called worship that becomes the conduit through which the Holy Spirit can finally move and then do his supernatural work. Man so often takes the starring role in such bodies of theology and God is kind of there as the supporting cheerleader. But notice how God-centred Jude's well-known benediction is from verse 24, try not to sing the song, from verse 24, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence. Notice all the activities of God, all the verbs are applied to God, we're totally passive. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and evermore. Amen. God is the one who keeps you from stumbling. And on account of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's how he does it. And that means that whilst it's important we treat Christian teachers with respect, we've really got to avoid putting them on pedestals. The, the celebrity pastor, according to the Bible, I don't think should exist. The power and authority belong ultimately to God and the centrality of God and the need to rely on the Lord Jesus will be so thoroughly transparent in the theology of any sound Christian teacher. In the year 2018, the most popular then sermon on YouTube that Oprah Winfrey claimed changed her life mentions Jesus a grand total of zero times. Not surprisingly, it's by a patently false teacher. In summary, brothers and sisters, Jude teaches us that Christians are not only to hold to the apostolic faith, but, sadly, I suppose, to contend for it. That has to involve learning to identify and reject false teachers. This is just something we have in our kit bag as growing, maturing disciples of Christ, learning to identify and reject false teachers. It means, obviously, building ourselves up in the apostolic, Christ-centred faith, of which church, of course, is a big-ticket item. Uh, if you're a Christian, decide to go to church once. You don't think every Sunday, will I or won't I? I'm a Christian, I'm going to go, unless I'm sick or on holidays. And finally, it can involve, where necessary, seeking to help or correct those who have come under the influence of false teachers. I know it's not glamorous or particularly exciting, but most true and important things aren't. And it is absolutely God-honouring and it's always an important thing to sort of keep in mind and frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if this is more important than the majority of New Year's resolutions we can be tempted to make. And with that... Let me conclude in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the faith, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that was delivered once for all to the saints and recorded for us in the New Testament. 
Heavenly Father, we recognise with sadness the reality that false teachers will be an ongoing problem until the return of the Lord Jesus. May we so love and cherish the saving news of the Lord Jesus Christ that we are therefore rightly motivated not only to rejoice in it but to contend for it. Where there are some that have doubts, Heavenly Father, please strengthen us. Where there are some who uh, are actually buying in to uh, the false doctrines of false teachers, Father, please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to rely on Jesus alone and the Scripture alone for all that we need. And Heavenly Father, where necessary, we're in a situation where we do need to say some hard words, please help us to do so in mercy and in love, but also in fear. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Naturally, I've got no idea what's happening now, so, Ian. What is it? Are there any, like, burning questions straight away? Like, yeah, there is. Okay, a burning question, we'll do that. Yep. Yes, there are. Uh, a good example will be in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul will reference some Greek poets, that's Acts chapter 17, about that far down the page, after the Berea bit, in the Areopagus bit, I don't know what verse it is, but Acts chapter 17, you'll find it. Uh, yes, that will be in uh, Cretans or Evil Brutes, uh, Lazy Lies, this testimony is true, rebuke them. Titus 1, thank you very much. Uh, are there others? I wouldn't be surprised if you find one in 2 Peter, or at least an allusion in 2 Peter, but off my, the top of my head, I can't think of what that would be. Oh, there is another one, actually. It's a more obscure one. Romans chapter 1. The Jew, in Romans chapter 1, uh, refers historically to a famous Jewish teacher who was found uh, to have undermined his teaching by thievery. And Paul alludes to that when he says, you, if you call yourself a Jew do you rob from temples? He's actually making an allusion to what was historically well known at that point. Now, that's not literature, it's pop culture, but yeah, those things do exist in the Bible. If there's more than that, I can't think of them right now. Good question.